0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things Human Factors, Psychology, and Design.
1: Hello, happy Halloween Eve, Eve. It's uh, episode 184. Today's October 29th, 2020. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. Uh, joined today by uh, the spooky Blake Arnsdorf.
2: The spooky, indeed. How is everybody doing this evening, Nick? How are you, man, on this double Halloween Eve? It,
1: it, double Halloween Eve. I'm I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, I'm all right. I'm I'm okay. I'm somewhere in that range. I'm
2: yeah. How are you? Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm lovely. It's been a a wonderful Thursday, and I'm looking forward to some fun Halloween festivities for the rest of the next couple of days. Good. Uh, I am so. too.
1: I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to The Mandalorian. There's an exciting weekend coming up. Um, Some stuff I'm not looking forward to, like the election, and speaking of which, go vote. Everybody, if you're listening to this show, you've probably already done it, Uh, but just a reminder, there's only a couple days left, especially if you're in the US. You should vote, but you vote anywhere if you can, because that's... That's uh, your voice. Uh, We do have some excellent news stories. We're uh, tackling a question from one of our community members, actually, uh, this week, which is always fun to to check in with what folks are talking about. Um, But our news stories this week, we're going to be talking about drones delivering various things, like medicine and fresh fruit. Um, So that's
2: fun. Uh, But, Blake, what's been going on in your world? Man, it feels like... It feels like we haven't talked in a while, but also that it was just last week. So there's not a whole lot going on in my world that I can really tease apart and chat through. Um, I feel like I don't know. I, don't, I just don't have a whole lot, whole lot to talk about. I'm really kind of in this never-ending cycle. It feels like of trying to balance out work and life stuff. Um, but that's 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 kind of normal right now in COVID land. Uh, But actually, one thing that I have found to be super helpful for that is, and I think you gave me this tip, was like setting a schedule. But basically, my schedule means I have certain reminders that say, hey, stop working. Um, And so that's actually been really helpful for me. So if anybody else is out there experiencing some issues with trying to find that home or work balance, if you're still working from home, uh, throw in a schedule and putting reminders for myself when I should be, you know, exercising, working, or, you know, Playing drums or doing other stuff or spending time with my dog and my girlfriend is yeah. super helpful. It's a good way to like cut my life up and not like be working too much and not like force yourself to, you know, work 24 7 or work on the weekends.
1: There you go. That's a great, great pod- productivity tip. Uh, put everything on the calendar. I'm sleeping during this time, I'm eating during this time. And pretty soon yeah. your whole calendar will be filled up and you'll have more joy in your life because you'll have scheduled your fun time.
2: Um, Yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. I should put my sleeping on there because I am so bad right now about like staying up way too late and then getting up way too early. (laughs) And that works great for people without kids. So, (laughs) yeah,
1: or, you know, other random things that happen in their life. If you're very organized, then it kind of could work for you. But it used to work for me. uh, But yeah, (laughs) not since having a kid, man. It's just kind of all... All in a crapshoot. It just things happen when they happen, and general plan for the there. day has to do. Yeah, um, man, I gotta say, uh, over the last week, for me at least, it's been uh, uh, a little bit of a depressing, anxious mess over here with the election coming up. Obviously, there's a lot of a lot of things Tensions riding on that high. thing, and uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it's hard to not stay glued to the news, but I'm trying to I'm trying to you know get myself out of that. and and do other things, and I have, um, you know, we talked about, we talk about stuff on the show all the time, Um, Stadia's one thing I always come back to, Uh, there's, um, I have an issue with, it just so happens to be a Stadia controller this time, it's not necessarily have anything to do with cloud gaming, but I do want to say, so I, I, my son broke my (laughs) Stadia controller um, by throwing it around, Um, and it's the left trigger, so it's it's a very important button for a lot of functions, and I've been trying to play games without it, and it's very frustrating. Anyway, I got on Google support, and apparently there's a larger problem with the controller triggers, uh, so I don't think it was entirely my son's fault. But um, the uh, the interesting thing to me is that um, I spent hours on hold. They're going to replace the whole thing, so that's fine. The, the interesting thing to me is that I was looking up a way to... Um, potentially play in the interim and part of the issue is that if you want to play on like your Chromecast you can only use the Stadia controller because it's Wi-Fi enabled right it's not like you can plug it directly into the Chromecast Uh, yeah you know and so so it's Wi-Fi enabled um, because it connects directly to the Google servers Um, they introduced this thing a couple weeks ago called tandem mode where you effectively take a cable and you plug that into the USB-C outlet on the back of of your stadia controller. And then you plug in a regular USB to another controller and you can go ahead and use another controller Wi-Fi connected uh, straight to your Chromecast. So like now I can use my PlayStation. Yeah. You can use your PlayStation four controller. And the nice thing about that is it still registers all the inputs and sends them. So it's registering my L2 on this controller. Um, You know, I did have to buy an adapter and make sure that all the cables could carry data and they weren't, you know, charging cables. So, it's been working out great. Um, you know, the there are a couple downsides though and I, I understand it's probably still in like a beta phase right now where, you know, if I like shoot a gun on like Destiny or something, this the stadia controller rumbles and not the controller that I'm holding. And so like it's it, you got to put it on like your lap or something. Um, also haven't tried the audio jack on these to see if, you know, which one um the audio comes out of and doesn't come out of. So there's still a couple things that I got to figure out, but I thought that was just a cool kind of um, fun workaround where, you know, it's, it's, it's such a sort of privilege to play video games with the controller that you want to play. And the fact that they're making it accessible, you know, so you could plug in any controller this way uh, as long as it's rated um, appropriately. Right. Like I tried with the uh, Nintendo switch pro controller it didn't work. It might someday, but for now it doesn't work. Um, PlayStation works, the Xbox controllers work, and presumably that Xbox accessibility controllers work too. So now you can plug in that accessibility controller, you know, with the pads, with the foot pads and all that stuff that help uh, folks play who don't have... Uh, you know, either dexterity in their fingers or whatever reason they can't use a traditional controller, Um, you can plug that right into your other controller, your Stadia controller, and have it Wi-Fi directly to the server. Um, While we're on the topic of cloud gaming, uh, I do want to talk... So I I briefly... uh, I I got into the Amazon Luna beta, so I'll be reporting on that soon, too. Um, Awesome. I'm already very disappointed with it.
2: (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) Already? How long... What, what what's disappointing right now anyway
1: okay so uh, they say play in Chrome I am trying to play in Chrome on my Android phone and it's not working they have support for iPhone but they don't have support for Android um and oh, that's, that's kinda surprising yeah it is and I'm trying it with my fire TV stick third generation but they only have support up to the second generation right now so it's like all the devices that I would use to play it, I can't use, and my seven-day free trial ends on the day that the Wi-Fi controller comes. So I'm just a little disappointed with like the whole business model so far. Um, Got it? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to pay the six dollars a month. I'll probably pay it to play one or two games all the way through, start to finish, for a month. But after that, I'll probably drop it until they figure out their stuff because it's just not um, it, right now. It's not in a place where it's. uh, it, it's good, right? So I, I need to I need to do a little bit more testing on that. I'll I'll report next week, um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good good overview of where I'm at.
2: Nice, man. Well, that's pretty crazy about the tandem thing. I wonder what kind of spawned the uh, the desire to like put that in as a functionality. Um, well, I think I, it, it pr-
1: I think it largely comes from like so you can plug in any any uh, controller into your laptop or uh, any other device, right? Like you can Bluetooth it to your phone and you can play it that way. Um, But there's no way currently to use those controllers on a Chromecast because it has to be a Wi-Fi controller. And so I think this is just a way to get around that, right? You plug it in to the actual Stadia controller. Stadia transmits those through Wi-Fi to the Chromecast Ultra that you've paired to it. And then... Um, you can basically use any controller on any device. I think that's why they did it, and I I really appreciate that. That's so cool to have that sort of layer of accessibility. So, um, yeah, really, really neat stuff.
2: Yeah, that's pretty sick. I really like it because, you know, I'm a big fan of the Xbox controller, even over the kind of Stadia one, so I have to give that a shot myself. Yeah, just just
1: hardwire it in with a little adapter, and and you're good to roll. You can play it on uh, Chromecast, no problem. Sweet. Well, pew, pew. Here we go. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, well, I think we should go ahead and get into this next part of the show. That's right. It's Human Factors News. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. This could be anything from, uh, well, we got some aviation, a little bit in there this week, medical, privacy, security, whatever. You name it, as long as it relates to the field of human factors. It's fair game for us to sit here and bs about blake what do we got up first this week actually we got two stories this week so what do we got up first
2: up first all right so up first we got uh the rural residents of north carolina getting meds delivered via drone Okay, so drones have already shown that they can reliably deliver vital shipments of blood across Rwanda, or even drop off prescriptions to senior citizens in Florida, and help quarantine families stay safe and contactless with contactless deliveries. So now we're actually gonna be buzzing through the skies of rural North Carolina, thanks to a novel delivery service devised by drug maker Merck uh, and drone maker Volani Volanacy? Velanacy. The plan plan is pretty simple. So use the 7-foot-long Gemini quadcopter to ferry packages of cold chain medicine, such as vaccines, glaucoma treatments, insulin, asthma inhalers, you name it, um, from one drug complex in North Carolina to the homes of citizens. So the Gemini drones are VTOL aircraft with a maximum range of about 50 miles and a maximum speed of 60 miles per hour. That's pretty fast. And they can hoist up to 10 pounds at a time using their core of electric propellers Uh, what's more the delivery process is largely autonomous as the gemini are capable enough to automatically release their hold on packages as soon as they touch down in a designated landing zone so nick we've we definitely hit the story way back when about florida getting this kind of concept Um, probably er yeah so early covid stuff so it looks like this is gonna. I don't know, maybe become the norm in some ways for making some of these deliveries a little bit faster. Um, But one thing I I think I want to point out is this this doesn't feel so much like the drop off of medication, you know, like like Amazon style at your door or anything. Feels more of like a supply chain um, speeding up the process type of thing. But nonetheless, still pretty sweet to see drones like coming in autonomously, dropping off like large medical supplies.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, yeah, this is a nice tie in with that story that we covered early pandemic, um, you know, with the with all of the prescriptions in Florida. Um, I think that the uh, I think that both of these stories actually complement each other fairly, um, fairly, fairly nice. I don't know if we do we want to just talk about them. Do we want to go to this next one and just talk about them holistically? I think we've been doing that for the last couple of weeks is just kind of these larger, larger we'll stories. So, okay, yeah, why don't don't we just uh, get into this next one here, too, and then we'll talk talk about them together.
2: Yeah. So let's take a flip on the the delivery drone here. Instead of medical supplies, we're delivering fresh fruit. So Reliable Robotics, which is best known for converting Cessnas into autonomous drones, has partnered with fresh produce company Guimara uh, to help solve the supply chain issues in the fresh fruit produce industry by delivering it with autonomous Cessna, Cessna drones. The test program has already begun and was able to deliver tree ripened peaches from farm to store within 24 hours, something that is typically done in seven days. So, this is much faster than the current travel time, of course. And when it is the seven days, the fruit must be picked earlier, and so the actual entire end to end process takes a lot longer. Currently, the fruit goes through various stages once it even gets to the store. And so with a delivery drone, you can actually streamline this entire delivery process directly to the area in the store. So this test proved that technology is viable using some of the autonomous Cessnas. But it'll have to evolve in how we bring products in terms of bringing them to market. How do we keep things, you know, get things there faster, keep things working really quickly. Uh, But anyway, so... Two very different takes on autonomous drones. Um, and I didn't realize that for the re- reliable robotic story, so that's the fresh fruit story, that they're actually taking old Cessnas, so big aircraft or you know m- small aircraft in terms of like uh, commercial aircraft, but taking them and making them autonomous so that's even cooler.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> so the reason I wanted to talk about both of these stories together. Uh, is because there's a couple interesting things going on here, right? There's kind of this short-range journey that you can make from like a uh, something in town to something else in town, um, and that's kind of like the quadcopter, octocopter drones that would uh, you know take a payload from point A to point B. Um, These are much smaller in size. And the thing that's interesting about this robotic, uh, the the reliable robotic story here is, yes, you're right. It's it's actual Cessnas. So there's a lot bigger of a payload size. But not only that, Cessnas are big enough to carry things, um, but small enough to land in like regional airports. And so uh you're absolutely cutting off some transit time because if you'd have to you know air cargo it to the nearest major airport and then you know truck it to the city you're already losing a lot of time on that whereas something like this if you if you imagine combining the two right have fresh fruit delivered directly to your doorstep by a series of drones right you pick the fruit um these drones you know you put it in the Cessna, it flies to a regional airport and then, uh, you know, it, it's packaged up for you, sent off to another drone that drops it off at your house. And and I think we're going to start seeing a lot more supply chain things like this start to happen where um, you will have a lot more automation and a lot more transportation options. Right. And this is we're talking drones right now, but like I can very easily imagine this type of thing happening with autonomous vehicles, too. Right. You have. Um, the the trucks that are becoming autonomous, the delivery trucks, um, the long distance cargo trucks, um, you have, you know, ships that are largely autonomous for long distance cargo hauling as well. So there's a lot of interesting um, sort of innovation happening with automation and transportation, um, not only of humans, but of other products as
2: well. Well, I think you bring an interesting point up, and I I do suspect that that's the future of product delivery is through automated means in general. Like from somebody packaging it up at, let's let's say, either the medical facility or in the case of like a fresh fruit farm. If somebody packages it up there, gets it transported, you know, let's say regionally or even across the country – and then it goes through another set of kind of automated deliveries because I'm I'm really thinking that eventually things like Amazon start employing kind of autonomous driving systems that are actually able to deliver things to doors or to, you know, like I think they've got these like lockers or whatever, maybe some kind of system similar to that, that it's basically like you're going to your Amazon mailbox that's in every, you know, every corner or whatever. So I, I think that could be the way of the future for a lot of this stuff. And seeing it with aircraft is interesting because I mean, drones are a very, very easy thing to automate or you can put a lot of automation behind them, especially these kind of quadcopters. Um But apparently also Cessna was so just still blowing my mind. So I think that that whole cutting down the supply chain is the end goal and automation across all these different vehicle types is really going to get you there.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Uh, there's, The the interesting thing to me, we have uh, not only that variance in distance, um, so so big planes uh, take things from long distances, small planes take things short distances, and drones take things even shorter distances. Um, You have the differences in payload size. You can take a lot from one location to another um, with the larger things, right, and so on and so forth. Um, and then, uh, you know, talking about we already talked about the supply chain piece of it. I mean, I don't I, I don't want to stretch this out any any more than we need to. But like the the ability to sort of streamline a lot of these uh, these delivery methods. Um, I, I mean. We're, t- we're talking turnaround times of like one day. Uh, for, for some of this stuff. Right. They even mentioned that in the reliable robotics um, fresh fruit one. They're, they're talking about farm to store in 24 hours. And that's incredible. Right. That's that's an incredible turnaround time, um, especially when you're when you're considering, uh, you know, what what type of food that you buy and will you pay a premium on, premium on them? I don't know. I don't think so. I think you're still going to get comparable prices because you're not paying humans to transport it. You're still paying for the product. Um, you're paying for the transportation fees, but you're not paying for a human to transport them as well. Um, and you know, of course this opens up a bunch of other different avenues for, um, for jobs as well, right? Like you have to have somebody monitoring all the drones. Um, you have to have people packaging this stuff at distribution centers. So like it, it does open up a lot of other, uh, jobs as well.
2: I think like going back to the medical one, it just provides a lot of kind of I don't know values the only way I can really describe it because when you're when we're thinking about the the pandemic was one thing right with because when we saw it in Florida it made a lot of sense you have a lot of elderly people that couldn't get prescriptions that kind of stuff, but I mean when we're talking about like at this scale delivering vaccines and insulin and all that kind of stuff, like imagine if like if you were able to get get all that kind of stuff through like ordering it through your phone and it was you know on a subscription style basis so you didn't really have to even think about you know what oh i need to go to cvs or i need to go do this other thing to pick up my subscription or i need to go do it for my mom who can't go do it so it i think it like uh, i do like the supply chain aspect of it but the the kind of end user uh, benefit is pretty high because i mean we're, we're now reducing potentially people that are elderly having to go and get stuff, kids having to, you know, have their parents go get prescriptions for them. Um, now, I know that this in, Carol, in the Carolinas anyway, it's a little bit limited to going to a specific center. But I can imagine, again, like, like you brought up, Nick, that over time, like this becomes, you know, a, an even bigger autonomous supply chain. So it gets delivered somewhere. Another drone takes it, a, you know, a car drone takes it, whatever. Um, so uh, I think both are just really interesting and kind of, I don't know, serendipitous, if you will, that they came up in the same week of stories because it, it's two completely different delivery reasons, um, but fueled by the same kind of technology with, uh, lots of similar benefit.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't know how much else more there is to say about this. Um, uh, I thought they were both great stories and, you know, it's always kind of fun to talk about what. The future of automation holds when you when you think about um, you know, replacing one piece of a process currently in place today. Right, we just talked about you know having all those things down the line change um, from you know instead of one set of workers, now you have another set of workers, and you know it's just it it's convenient all around for the person who is ordering because you spend yeah you spend less time out and doing things and now you have more you suddenly have more free time because it's delivered to you um and and yeah i don't know do you have any other like closing thoughts on this one i hate to move on so so soon but uh i just don't know if we
2: can stretch this one out i do think that this is maybe one of the more interesting challenges that human factors like strictly human factors people will be like fo- need to focus on and i hope that you know when when companies are coming up with this technology i don't always know unless you're an amazon or a bigger company if you're thinking about the like our reaching impacts of all of this so really this ends up being a giant ecosystem of automation from stuff on the ground to stuff that's flying and combinations of it and then putting people in the middle of it. So I, I think the cool problem to solve or like way to look at this is like the systems of system design that has to be done to make all of this work. Cause there, cause right now I think what we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of, you know, drone technology that's being used for very specific purposes. But ultimately I would think for somebody like Amazon, this is completely a guess. I don't know anybody that works in Amazon um, that deals with drones, but my guess would be if they got their hands in this kind of stuff, they would want a single, you know, drone operation center that's able to monitor all of these different aspects. So you're not like having specific medical companies or food companies. It's you like developing a system in which all this stuff can work and be monitored to the degree that needs to be um, from one kind of central location, if you will. Right. So it- And and does that sorry does that
1: live with one company too right or or is it or is it government regulated like because you have ATCs uh, and and you know I can I can very much uh, picture like an automated uh, traffic control where you have uh, folks looking at a bunch of sets of automation where now you're not only looking at the sky and maybe it's a transfer over from ATC right but maybe you have like various layers where I'm thinking like Intel spaces in military, where you have various layers of people looking at different things and that information gets synthesized at some level. Um, but like you have, uh, you, you know, you have ATC looking at the aircraft, you have potentially a drone ATC that's looking at a much lower altitude, um, traffic level that's dealing with that. And then potentially having, um, like a map of, of, uh, all the autonomous vehicles on the road as well. Um, that kind of thing, like the lockers themselves. And then someone at the top is looking at all the systems together and saying, okay, where is the bottleneck? Why are we like having these um, issues with, with timing and all that stuff? So yeah, I think it, there's a lot of opportunity for that systems of systems design.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Uh, that should be like a really interesting kind of set of challenges for people. Cause now you really have to be careful between, where do you put people in brand new positions and then how much automation is being used and what's the the trade-off between you know putting humans in the loop or putting them a little bit outside of it and then like you said i mean at the end of the day it becomes kind of like you almost need a Cisco style system where you're able to you know look from a high level what's going on from an analytics pr- standpoint how can we optimize it all that kind of stuff but you bring up a more interesting point to me of who owns this kind of stuff because uh, it it could be government regulated it could be a one company it could be a, like a bunch of different companies like let's just for argument's sake say it's like it's facebook it's google and it's amazon the big three who owned the drones yeah yeah, so they could be having to basically work together and hand off things between each other. So if you think of the ATC model, handing off, you know, even dr- even cars that are driving from one kind of system operator owner to another. So it's a, it's a lot of cool interesting right. challenges to think through.
1: Or is, you know, something like the delivery systems monitored by USPS or it's it Yeah. Who owns it and how basically the only thing that we need to make sure is that it's safe for not only the person that's getting the stuff, but everyone else on the road and the air that's affected by um, all these other autonomous systems. So, yeah, I agree. I think uh, it, it's an interesting question that we have to answer as human factors folks. And um, the, it's this just screams to me that we have job security because there's so many unknowns, at least from my perspective. And, uh, you know, it might just be because my my knowledge of this field is so limited, right? And, and with the many factors that go into something like this I can imagine that there are you know there's there's specialties for aircraft control there's specialties for automation there's like there's there's so many different things going into this system that like one person can't break it all down and so there's going to be very various levels of collaboration across all these systems
2: Oh yeah, well then on top of it like we just we talked through only two stories that have you know widely different you know uh goals right for what they're delivering but then on top of that they've got vastly different technology they're using to deliver so you've got an autonomous Cessna versus a quadcopter how do how does the control of those things work in one separate piece of software one sole piece of software for one operator so that's a, a whole another bag of worms to kind of tackle too is all these different types of tech that evolve over time how much how much is their plug and play how much does there need to be integration for each one um, so it's it like you said, it's an ever growing problem. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you to our friends over at Engadget
1: and Drone DJ, Drone DJ. Uh, for our news stories this week and uh thanks to mateo for posting these on our slack if you want to follow along we do post the links to the original articles in our slack as we find them so you can join us over there for more discussion we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be back to see what's going on in the human factors community
0: human factors cast strives to bring you the best in human factors chatter every week we pack news interviews reviews and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month, and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember... It depends.
1: All right, and we're back. Uh, Yeah, Patreon is a thing that we do. Uh, We have one of those, and we have rewards for you. If you join us uh, on Patreon, there are plenty of things waiting for you. Um, Something not mentioned in there that we always talk about on this show is Human Factors Minute. We just finished up a batch that'll take us all the way through, uh, I think, Think through the middle of next year, so we're we're well ahead of schedule. Uh, there is something there um, weekly for you to listen to. Uh, there's always new rewards there. There's a fresh new look up there. We're always updating it. Uh, so if you can help us out financially, everything goes right back to the show. Helps us attend conferences like HFES. Helps us afford better gear. Uh, to record the show and, and do fun things like that So um, everything that you donate goes right back Into making this thing the best it can be Alright well let's go ahead and switch gears And get to this next part of the show It came from It came from it came from, well, Slack this week. This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. But we didn't have to look far this week uh, from one, another one of our uh, Slack members wrote us. Um, and uh, we, we always love hearing from you guys. So if you have any questions, let us know. Send us an email. Send us a, a, a message on Slack. We love getting those questions because in this section, we get to answer things that's relevant to you. Um, so uh, this one comes from uh, one of our listeners who reached out to us directly. Wanted to remain anon- anonymous on this one. Blake,
2: um, have
1: you heard about Google offering these professional certifications?
2: Yeah, I have. So the w- only one that I was actually familiar with before today was the IT specialist cert. Because it was that was actually something that I was interested in a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and read this really quick. So uh, this person says, I saw an article claiming that these certifications can replace a four-year degree in the same subject. So Google is offer- offering these professional certifications where um, you can get this uh, this basically accelerated uh, certificate here. What do you both think about this certificate program by Google? Um, and I'm going to extend that and say certifications and boot camps in general.
2: Blake, Go. Oh man. Um, so full disclosure, I do, a I do mentorship for a UX bootcamp. So one, I have some thoughts and opinions on it. The biggest one being, oh, hold on, let, let me back up a second. So because this comes from Google, there might be more clout that stands behind it, kind of like, if, I don't know, if whatever the most prestigious university for, you know, whatever degree, human factors is. They're they're like clout comes with that piece of paper from where it came from because people respect it, the people that came from that school, whatever it may be, the research that's done there. So that may be tied to some of this Google stuff. I really don't know because I haven't gone through them myself uh, one thing i actually did say to nick because i didn't realize they had more than this it specialist program coming it looks like they're gonna have like program management data analyst and ux design and i'm totally interested to you know go through their ux design program just to see what it is uh, but in terms of what does it mean in terms of replacing your or replacing a traditional set of school or whatever it may be uh, boot camps they're all over the place for sure. And the biggest thing for any, any, any boot camp, whether it's in software development or UX design or whatever, is it's it's a similar program where you're getting a lot of people with the same outputs. So you have to put a little more effort into it. And you're, I, I in my opinion, you're doing a lot more work just to kind of prove your skill set than for someone like me who went to grad school, spent more time, definitely spent more money going to school. But developed connections to my first job that made me not have to, you know, be doing as many side hustle jobs. Like I was able to work in a lab and get experience in the field that I was, you know, studying. So it wasn't at there wasn't as much of that transfer of like, OK, go you've learned the skills. Now go immediately develop a network and go get a job. So that's that's what I would caution people against assuming that just because you go through any kind of certificate program or boot camp that that's going to be enough to ultimately result in you getting a job immediately. Because uh, I think there is a lot more work, especially now where something like UX, let's say, is it's very popular field. There's a lot of different boot camps you can go to, a lot of different certifications you get you can get that surround it that range from you know being free to being you know thousands of dollars and ultimately it it still ends up in the same formula like yes you've learned the skills but you have to show how you can apply them and then it's going to be developing a network that can actually get you somewhere with that skill set um so i don't know nick what's what's kind of your opinion or your understanding of what this google certificate can offer that maybe you know a traditional degree how it compares or contrasts i guess so i want to talk about this answer um a little bit
1: broader than just these Google certs and these Google courses or whatever you want to call them. So these are six month courses, um, graduate school, at least in human factors, you can get away with accelerated one year for a master's, uh, typically about two years, unless you're doing a thesis in which case it's three years. And then there's PhD obviously that can take you forever. So the, the, the part of this I want to talk about is necessarily um, not not necessarily value of courses by time or value of courses by things learned. It's value of courses relative to your goals, right? So, if let's say, uh, let's let's give the context of. Wanting, like, let's say you're a software developer, and if you listen to the show and you're a software developer, and you, you're interested in human factors and want to find out more about user experience uh, that can help you um, sort of inform your code to be more user-friendly, right? That, to me, screams, okay, take a boot camp. That's something that you can do in a weekend that augments your ability to... Um, to produce stuff that is going to be great for the end user, right? So that's kind of where I stand with the boot camp stuff. There's also – you can also use a boot camp as kind of like a refresher, right? It's been a while since I've visited this content. I would like to take a boot camp in order to um, sort of of refresh my knowledge on this subject. Um, And then at the other end of all this, you have – graduate school, which if you want to do this thing uh, for a living, right? Human factors or UX or whatever it is, you stay there. You form connections with faculty. You form connections with other students. You form connections with professionals in the industry by going to conferences Um, and you by showing your work and learning it and getting immersed basically in this culture of human factors, or UX. And so I think the amount of time that you spend in an area uh, definitely sort of dictates your train of thought when it comes to approaching problems. So when you think about this middle ground here, what Google's trying to do, six months, it's somewhere in the middle. This, this almost sounds like, to me, um, a way to... <laughs> it sounds like... And I'm very cynical on this, right? It's it's like, I, I don't think you can get what you need. Maybe knowledge, right? You can get the knowledge that you need out of that six-month course. Um, and fine. That's great. You can walk away knowing what you need to know. The thing that you don't get from there is kind of the mindset of being in a graduate environment and literally doing everything you can to... Um, commit to that core to that to that uh area right of study and you also don't get the same opportunities to interact with faculty who have been doing this for years i'd assume at one of these like certifications you'd have a an accredited trainer that would sit with you for six months um kind of show you the ropes and teach you everything you need to know Um, And maybe maybe that's not right. Maybe maybe there are multiple trainers that have different levels of expertise. But, you know, having sort of a a graduate school environment where you are interacting with different people with different philosophies on um, on how to conduct studies and how to get data correctly. And also you're going to conferences when you're in grad school, presumably to present your work to show others what you're capable of. Um, I think there's a lot more opportunity in grad school and and thinking about just in, in broad terms here. Um, if that's what you want to do, then go to grad school for it. I don't think this is a cheat way to get through grad school in six months. Um, I think this is a, I, I can't think of a use case for this, right? Like maybe it's like, Man, it's been years since I've done this. A boot camp won't do the trick. Maybe I need to continuous education myself into this program here for 6 months just to get myself back to where I was 20 years ago. I don't know. Uh will anyone ever admit that? I probably not. Like
2: I I don't know. Like Yeah. I can't see a use case for this. Uh I totally can cuz I can I can see a way that you can I don't, I don't know. I think Google really has a golden opportunity for how they tackle this because uh, I see issues might not be the right word, but I see where you could make massive improvements to make boot camps more effective um, in the short amount of time because that six-month concept is very much the norm, like somewhere in the six- to 12-month range. What can you do? And I think more can be done. Um, it would it would require more effort on a boot camp's part, and there's the you know you're you're running a business. It's a business model where you're trying to balance everything. So I th- I think they could do a lot with helping people transition to different careers. Yeah, um, that's
1: that's fair. I mean,
2: I mean, where I'm more excited about it is what is this? I ultimately think that Google is the maybe one of the only forward-thinking companies that will start coming up with these kind of certificate programs to help people transition into new automation job positions and allow you to do it from various walks of life, like with, with different varying le- levels of education. Cause that's their whole shtick here it, from the Google perspective. It's you didn't need no experience. Let's see how far we can get you in six months. Um, and I don't, I don't know what kind of guarantees they offer because most boot camps for the UX stuff, it's like, we will get you a job um, you know, within, if you follow all the rules to a T and you don't like misstep anywhere, uh, we'll, we'll get you a job or you'll, we'll give you whatever money you paid us back. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited personally just to see what it's like. Uh, but I'm kind of of the mindset that you are, whether it's the way of the future or not, I don't know. Uh, but I think my experience in grad school was invaluable just cause it was, it was learning from people in a field that I just didn't know anything about. Uh, they had a lot of experience and let me touch things like I, I would have never been able to work in any NASA lab ever without having being been connected to that school. Like I, it wouldn't, and the name of the school and the names of the labs or people that I worked under opened a lot of doors for me that I don't think I could open my, on my own. Certainly not in the human factors world. So it's it's just I think I think you really. Made a good point about it's really about your goals. What do you want to do? Where do you want to work? What's this for? Is this, you know, learning software development in a weekend so you can talk to a developer on Monday about React? Or is this like a career path? And I think it just depends on what what you want to do with it. Yeah, that's fair.
1: I, I, my concern with these like six month programs are that they're going to be teaching to what they need. Um, and so, and, and also, like let's let's talk about these um, these actual links here. So if you look at uh, some of these professional training certifications by Google, they give you the median annual wage for these uh, things, right? So they say sixty six thousand for data analyst. You have sixty one thousand for project managers. You have eighty four thousand for UX designer. They have fifty six thousand for IT support specialist. Um, anyone who looks at that list is immediately going to go, oh, UX designer, okay, I can do that. That's, that's They get paid a lot, let's do that. And then the thing also, too, that you got to be careful with this is that if you sign up just looking at those numbers, um, you know, and you, you get to Google in uh, Silicon Valley and, you know, the cost of living there, you need, like, 130 just to survive. Um, like, it, it, it's... They can take advantage of their employees like this and be like, hey, look, we actually said the median was 84. We're happy to offer that to you if you want to come uh, live with, uh, you know, come work with us in in uh, Silicon Valley. And I just I, I wor- there's got to be some like protection for the people who take these courses. Um, I would hope that anyone taking these courses is smarter than that to look up the competitive wages in a certain area. But I can see it being something that people that, that this company takes advantage of um you know in, in under the right circumstances
2: um yeah but, i mean it's certainly possible i would hope that it's not the case but i, I, I can't yeah. argue against that but the one thing that i think you hit on that's more important from my perspective to talk about is if you i don't know sometimes i feel like a hypocrite with this because i i go through the same thing so if you if anybody feels like they worry about you know, should I be making money over doing you know what I like to do? What do I do? It's a hard thing to think about. But if you're looking at this and you're looking at numbers to make you decide what career path you want to take, you're you're probably going to make the wrong decision. Yeah, uh, I don't. It the money thing will only take you so far. Um, that that's my opinion anyway, uh, and I think I think it in some ways it definitely holds true from my own experience. Um, so definitely definitely take heed, Nick's kind of thoughts there if you're chasing after money maybe this isn't the right thing to do
1: yeah i mean there's also um sort of this uh the 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 whole aspect of what google needs out of a ux designer right uh, is there any accreditation that happens um at another level that basically says yes this is the same this is the equivalent of this program from X school, right? Like, is there some other agency that that goes in and does that? Uh, because if not, then it, you're going to get what Google needs out of a UX designer. You're not going to get um, sort of that generalized knowledge that you might get in a graduate school program um, that you can then uh, sort of take with you to um, anywhere, right? Is it is it going to be just what Google wants or is it going to be something that is uh, widely um, uh, widely desired in, in, you know, in, uh, in the industry, I guess that's, that's kind of where I'm at.
2: Yeah, I guess. I'm maybe I'm being naive, but I feel like if it's coming out of Google, I would probably be, I, I don't know. I would think it'd be pretty good in terms of what standards of what, how transferable the job skills would be. Uh, it may even be able to bring new concepts to old industries on top of that
1: yeah that's fair um yeah i, I we'll, we'll have to see if anyone is planning on taking these courses let us know um we, we'd love to talk to you and and just kind of get your opinion on these um because we know folks have gone through every type of uh program and um boot camp and everything so all right well uh did you have any other closing thoughts on this this uh this question here Blake I thought this was a great one and, and I'm glad we had time to actually talk and break this one down I was worried that we were going to get through this episode pretty quickly but we we actually spent a lot of time on this so I'm, I'm thankful for that
2: yeah no I think this was a, a nice one to go through and no really cat I, I like you said I mean if anybody knows they want to take this awesome I I would definitely love to talk to you when once it starts because uh, I definitely want to take a look at at least the UX design side myself
1: yeah all right well that's gonna be it for today everyone let us know what you guys think of the news stories this week uh if you want you can join us on our slack uh post and always posting links in there uh or follow us on any of our social channels for H factors podcast um you if you'd like let you hear you want to support the show there's a couple ways you can do that you can either leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice or if you have money and you want to give us money uh you can support us on patreon we'll give stuff back to you it's it's a fair trade i think uh and of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to find out more about adult
2: diapers? You guys can always find me. <laughs> Got him! <laughs> you guys can always find me at the Human Factors Cast Slack at Blake or across social media at Don'tPanicUX. UX.
1: As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it <laughs> Dear listener, at the end of episode 183, Blake and I realized... After 183 episodes, that Depends is a brand of adult diapers. And we have been saying this at the end of every single episode. This podcast is not brought to you by Depends, and we sincerely
3: apologize for the unprofessional outro that you just heard. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory. Because it's more than just common sense.